Uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. Oh, boy, do we miss Big Ray. Big Ray Solanoa was here at 8.30, and he taught everybody how to respond to the word. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. So that, was high, that was a little high end. When Ray did it, it was a little lower. Oh, but it was exciting. As you're opening your Bibles to Philippians, let me uh, also, uh, by way of uh, the agency of the family, uh, this Saturday at 11 is, is, is a memorial, a, a celebration of life for Lene McDaniels. And Corey and his family have asked us to invite you to be there. Uh, that's one of those things that we are just gathering to support the family and to remember and to give thanks to God for her life and for her faith and to remember that there is a life yet to come. May the Lord give us grace and comfort. All right, the book of Philippians. Are you ready? Oh boy, I'm gonna open my Bible. Uh, we're going to, this, we are launching this, so if you're newer today, welcome to uh, a new series. And maybe that's why you came. You thought, I bet you they're gonna have a new, they're gonna start a new series now, and that's right. We're gonna go through the book of Philippians, and you might say, well, how long is that going to take? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we're not, we're, we aren't going to, make haste through the text. It is a letter. You can read it through in one sitting, but we are going to read through it a little bit slowly. Before we do that, before I talk about methodology, let's remember that Dr. Dav's triple A method of Bible interpretation. What is that triple A method? Now you're embarrassing me in front of the guests. Let's try it again. Author, audience, agenda. Let's try it. Author, audience, agenda. Those are the three things you want to keep in mind as we approach the text. That's, now, we can wade deeper into the hermeneutical weeds of philosophy and whatnot, but we will only end up getting confused and arguing with ourselves. So here's the, th the three things that you just got to keep in mind to get the most out of the text is the author, the audience, and the agenda. Who is the author of the book of Philippians? Paul, the good news is, in case you were worried, I know some of you were very worried, the good news is that there is very little, if any, debate about the authorship of Philippians. Ah, oh, good, we can all be very relieved. No controversy yet today. Uh, so uh, pretty universally agreed that Paul is the author. From, uh, Paul is writing this book, this letter, from Rome in prison. Now, not the kind of prison that we'll reference here in a couple of moments, but this under, he's under house arrest. And he referred to himself as being in chains, and he very well may have literally had chains on him, but it was more house arrest. People could come and go, bring him, bring him snacks, thank the Lord. <laughs> and he could write letters and, and receive uh, gifts of, of financial help. So he was so he 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 wasn't necessarily in the stocks this time but he was under house arrest and so he lived a confined life and so but and now he's writing to who's the audience yeah the church at Philippi okay now if we, the good news is we also know a little bit about this church from Acts chapter 16. This is where Paul, in desiring to fulfill his assignment from heaven, goes on a 900-mile walk. 
He did walk all those of miles, and he would do it again for you. So he, he walked all that time. And why did he walk so long is because he was trying to find a place where the Lord would allow him to preach the gospel, but every so often he would come to a place, and all the Lord told him was no. You know, sometimes that's all he tells us. And when all we get is no, the, our job is to just keep walking. Put one foot in front of the other. It's a great hymn. We should learn it. Soon you'll be walking across the floor. So it's, they sang that in the old-timey church. It's from Rudolph or whatever, Santa Claus or something, claymation. Anyway, but it's a good, it's a good song. It's a great song. Uh, but he just kept walking until, and finally he comes to a place where he has a vision at night and it's a dream and there's a man from Macedonia across the sea of this Greek land saying, come over here and help us. So he says, oh good, this is it. We're supposed to go find a Macedonian man. He crosses the sea, he gets to this area of Philippi and he finds a woman named Lydia. Now there's not even, there is not even a synagogue in Philippi. They can't even get 10 Jews gathered together for a synagogue. So he goes to the river, not to be by a van, but he goes down by the, again, funny if you know it, but he goes, he goes down by the river. He finds Lydia and a group of people. He, and Lydia receives Christ, she and her household, and she's a dealer in fine purple. So we have a, a lady businesswoman who finally says yes to Jesus. Then they're in Philippi for a while until they get a PR person. That's right, Paul gets unrequested, a person begins to be his agent. A, a, a little gal begins his PR routine and she begins to go in front of them wherever they're going saying, these men are servants of the most high God here to tell you the way of salvation. They were and they were. But after a while, this lady didn't pass the smell test and Paul, Paul discerned that this, this, this young sweet gal was oppressed by a serpent demon. He drives the demon out of her, frustrating her masters because now they can't make a profit off of her life and Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. There, now they're in the stocks, they're in the inner parts of the jail, feet are in stocks, in chains, beaten up, all the rats, all the stuff, all of the bad movies, there it is right there. And then about midnight, they begin to sing, not as a strategy, although it worked out. They didn't sing because they said, you know how to get out of here, we should sing. It wasn't a James Bond escape move. But in hindsight, the testimony does prove valuable. They begin to sing and lift their voice in praise. Why? Because they're doing everything for his glory. They want everything to be worthy of praise. So even in this moment, they're going to live for his glory. And they begin to lift their voice in song and there's an earthquake and the bars open up and the chains fall off and the jailer's about to commit, commit suicide because now his, their life is on him. Paul says, do thyself no harm. He leads the, the jailer and his family to Christ. So now there's a church in Philippi consisting of a lady businesswoman, a former demon-possessed girl, and a Gentile jailer. So now that's all you need, and that should make all of us feel very comfortable. This church prospers. This church has a friendly relationship with Paul. Everybody agrees that, that Paul writes this. This is a friendly exchange. He is, he is well acquainted with them. He has a very positive relationship. Now, Paul has a pretty, he's pretty well acquainted with other churches to whom he writes letters, but not all of them is he super happy with. Galatians, frustrated. Corinthians, don't ask. 
the church at Philippi, he has this wonderful relationship with. And so we're going to lean in and hear what he has to say to them. The agenda appears to be at least several fold. He wants to tell them thank you for who they are and what they have done for him. He wants to encourage them. And he writes to celebrate or describe that although he is in prison, in chains, that they, we, can live a life that is unchained. He writes to enjoin them to describe what we'll call a Christian attitude. Many commentators have said this, that if we, if we could read and live this book, we would live the most excellent kind of life. So this is a book about, it is the, an epistle of attitude of Christian attitude, and we are enjoined to learn from it. Now, how are we going to read this? We're gonna read this, uh, we're gonna read this remembering that it is a letter. How many of you wrote an email this week? Anybody? In your email, did you sit down and write down an outline first and come up with a thesis statement? Some of you may have, and I'm sorry for how we are, but. <laughs> I know there's, there's help for us out there. But most of us don't do that. We just write. And this is a letter from Paul to his friends. So it's not a thesis. It's not a dissertation. It's not a formal document. We're going to read it like a letter. And so it's going to wander a little bit. It's going to go to, from one thing to another. Maybe circle back and say a thing again. That's fine. But it's also Scripture. We believe that it has been preserved by, to, for us by the Holy Spirit. And although in transmission and in translation it has been passed down through the centuries, it has been preserved by the Holy Spirit for us so that these words remain alive. The words, the concepts, the thoughts are living for us. And so we want to take our time to respond to them as life. We want to respond to what is true and, and acknowledge it and let it, let it adjust and inform us. We also want to listen for what comes to us prophetically. What, in other words, what, what speaks to us in a fresh and rich way today. How can we respond now to this truth? So having said all of that, Let's begin. Are you ready? Now, I said a moment, to, a moment ago, how long are we going to go through this text? Well, you're about to find out. We're not in a big hurry. Are you ready? Now, I'm going to put these readers on because now suddenly, just me and Barney, all of us, all of you think I'm much smarter than I was a moment ago. Ooh, look at that. They're just ones, but still, they're just, they're just a prop. But my, my Bible is literally 17-point font. You could read it from back there. Here it is. Paul, they could read it online. Have you, have you all welcomed everybody online? Have we, can we tell them one more time? Welcome for being here. Online people, they're much happier than they sound right now. They're just... Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus... Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but did you hear what, that, what Paul just did? It's not an accident. This is the, the leading, the breath of God. Bondservants of Jesus Christ to the saints who are in? To the saints who are in? We'll talk about that in just a minute. This is not an accident. Who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. 
That's all we're looking at today. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Here's verse one. Here's verse one. Verse one begins. It sets us up. Here we want to see this. It sets us up with people, places, and roles. Here's people, places, and roles. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Bond servants. Somebody say it out loud. Bond servants. Bond servants is that this, it's, that's an English translation that they're translating the Greek word doulos. Doulos means, well, in your Bible, it might say servant. Some of your Bibles, it might actually say slave. And where that word is elsewhere used in New Testament language, it is translated slaves. Now, you might say, why in the world is Paul calling himself a slave of Jesus? Well, here's the deal. It fits. It fits if we keep it in careful historical context because Paul understood, and here's what we need to hear right away. Paul understood that his whole life was wholly owned by and governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that he... Remember, Paul is friends with these people. He knows them. How many of you have ever, ever heard of any other Paul, Pauline literature? Other, other Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, all that. Oftentimes you read that, and what does Paul often say when he's in the beginning? He'll say, Paul, an apostle, right? And, and even though it, that doesn't nearly mean big shot like people think it means now, but whatever, it was a role that he had. He was a sent one. But when he writes to the, Coloss the, the, the Philippian church, he doesn't even mention his ministry role. He, doesn't, he sets aside all, all titular greetings, but he saves this one. Sets aside every title he might, he doesn't need a title, they know who he is, but he on purpose includes this one. They know who he is. But on purpose, as he, re, as he reintroduces himself in this formal greeting, I am, it's the only title he saves for himself is slave. Now, right away, that is an attitude adjustment. It is an attitude adjustment for, for a particularly, for, I guess for anyone, everywhere, all human, humanity, but it's, I, here I'm speaking as here I am a North American, don't tread on me, pew, 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 evangelical, proud to be it. Thankful that I am. Pew, pew, don't try to me. Give me liberty or don't mess with me, right? All of that. And yet we understand that as believers, we don't get to carry that sense of it's my way or no way as we follow Jesus. It's his way only. Now, where, we, where I'm more comfortable with the term bondservant is this, is because particularly in, in our uh, you know, 500, the last 500 years and even more intensely now, the word slave honestly doesn't fit our relationship with Jesus. Because slave connotes the idea that someone has been taken by force against their will into the service of another. And that hasn't happened. Jesus has the right and the receipt to my life, but he does not take it by force. He has the right to be my Lord, but he has let me say yes. Furthermore, slave connotes the idea that if I step out of line, I'm immediately punished. There, it, uh, it's a life governed by fear of punishment, and that is not the life of a believer. Yeah, so the, idea, the concept of bondservant better fits both the historical and the actual relationship. Jesus Christ is absolutely our Lord. 
There is no middle ground. But he is our Lord because he has the right and the receipt. And we have said yes. We have said yes to his loving lordship. And we, he is my Lord because I deeply want him to be. And if you have not said yes to his rightful lordship in your life, you can. He has the right to your life. He shed his blood to, to save you from your sin. Whether you're live with us this morning or online, you can say yes to the lordship of Jesus. But understand what that yes means. He's not an accessory. He's the Lord of our life. And that is a wonderful attitude adjustment. So it's from Paul and Paul and Timothy who are together authoring this text. To, who is it to? All the saints. That means only the saints can read this. It is correct. That, so what that means is if you're not a saint, then you can't read it. It also means that. But what I'm trying to say is that this is not a letter to the haves and the have-nots or the ours and the are-nots. This is not a letter written to stained glass window sitters. You are not a saint because someone voted on it. You are not a saint because you earned it. Saint is the word hagias, holy ones. That might even be more intimidating. To all the holy ones in Philippi, and maybe most of us thought, well, I'm out. <laughs> but you're not out, you're in. You are a holy one, not because of what you have done, but because of what has been done to you. Hagias, holy one, is the, it, it, holy means set apart. Set apart. It heralds, it hearkens back to our Old Testament literature and types of the tabernacle and the, and the temple. Instruments in the, tabber, in the temple or tabernacle. For instance, my wonderful stained glass mug. I, you might think it looks different than my old one. That's because the old one went missing. And we're looking for it. My mama used to say, be sure your sins will find you out. <laughs> Let's just hope it wasn't my fault. Anyway, so I've got this new stainless steel mug that I'm enjoying. By the way, I figured out what they call a stainless steel. It doesn't stain like the porcelain, did you know? Yeah. Anyway, okay, yeah, go ahead and make fun of me. But, um, but were this mug to be an instrument in the tabernacle or the temple, it would have been made, it would have looked like other mugs, it would have been similar in appearance probably, but something would have happened to it. At some point, the priests would have taken the mug and they would have put oil on it. And when they put oil on it, it was set apart. The oil that was put on it made it different. It was set apart and to be, it was to be treated, used differently. It had a different identity and destiny than all the other mugs. Even though the mug didn't do anything. The mug didn't do anything. Something happened to it. It changed its identity and its destiny forever. Do you know what? You could take that mug, go outside and dig in the dirt with that mug and you wouldn't change its identity or its destiny. You just did a dumb thing with a holy mug. Now lean into that and you listen to what I'm saying. 
You didn't change the identity or the destiny of the mug. You just did a really dumb thing with a holy mug. You are saints because of what has happened to you. He says to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. They're saints in Christ. What makes you different is that you are in Christ. Somebody say in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Now, it's not an accident that Paul will switch this language. He's not just being tricky or wordy, but, uh, uh, but Christ is not his last name. He's G- Jesus Bar Joseph or Jesus of Nazareth, if we wanted to call him. But what is Christ? Christ is a title. It's, it's who he is. Christ means anointed one, the anointed one. So if we're going to just let ourselves read this with the, the, the most literal way, it's to the saints who are in the anointed one, Jesus. Now that, that changes things for you. This isn't just a forensic ontological placement. This is something that has happened to us because Jesus is sharing his spirit with us. We have shared in the spirit of the Lord and it is the Holy Spirit who has come into and upon our lives now, and that is our union with Jesus. That is our, we are in union with him because of that spirit, and because of that spirit, we are in Christ, and that makes us saints in Christ. Saints are different than non-saints. They should be. They might should look different, but they certainly should act different. They should have different characters and different attitudes. Once again, an attitude adjustment is you're a saint. You're a bondservant and you're a saint. To the saints who are in Philippi. What? In Philippi. Somebody say in Philippi. I just want to pause and acknowledge this. God knows where you live. Now, does, now that, that doesn't mean that just that, well, now God has your number or he knows where to find you. He does. All that's true. I don't want to take away any of that, but it's not a threat. It's a hope. God knows. He knew that the saints were in that city. He knew that city, that culture. He knew who their neighbors were. He knew where they went, where their comings and their goings. And he sees us. He sees our city. He sees our region. God, places matter to God. Do you hear that in your hearts? Places matter to God. The fact that you are in the place where you are means that God has a plan and a hope and a purpose for this city. And it involves his saints. With the bishops and the deacons. Oh, well now who, are, is this another subset of people? Well, it's, it's a different, it's, we're still, still talking about the saints. So he, he's not saints and then also the bishops. No, the bishops and deacons are a subset of the same group of saints, but these are saints who have different responsibilities. Bishops and deacons are people, are saints who have, you might say, elevated responsibility to and for other saints. God has made us responsible for one another. The word bishop means overseer. Overseer, what what does an overseer mean? It means to watch over, to watch over, to care for, to watch over the spiritual good and development of the congregation. 
deacon, historically, deacon means servant. Deacon, that's what it means, servant. And it's, and it's, it's, so it's saints who are, who have been asked to accept certain responsibilities to serve the church. Certain, and often they were, they were responsible for everything from, from uh, physical and material concerns to other things. The first ones that we called the deacons, the first ones we called, they were in charge of making sure that widows got the beans. You know, that people just got the food that they needed. But they were recognized and they were asked to assume certain responsibility. So what do we, we pause and we recognize right away that there are leadership and responsibility roles in the church. It's not a hierarchy, but there are roles of responsibility and they are character-based These are people who have been asked to assume these roles, and the congregation willingly acknowledges those added responsibilities. From the beginning, the church of the Lord Jesus has functioned and flourished when people accept responsibility and acknowledge and choose to honor the responsibility that others have. This is still a Christian attitude. It's good to pause and just ask some good questions. Are we a part of something healthy if we are not choosing to be accountable to others? If there is no authority over your life, there's probably very little authority in your life. And are we choosing to accept servant roles in the body? There is a sacred call to service. And it's not a hierarchical system. It is is the emulation of our master who chose to gird himself with an apron to wash his followers' feet. Then verse 2, Paul continues. After identifying people and places and roles, here's what he has to say. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so many commentators whisk past this. And I don't, I know, you probably get tired of me picking on people, but it's a little bit fun. And I probably won't stop. But they whisk by this and they call it, and they do. They oh, they, they almost say, it's just a greeting. Some of your study Bibles may not even have any reference to verse two, like, eh, you know, they just keep going. They want to get to the good stuff. Well, let me tell you, the reason why there's any good stuff is because of this stuff. These two words are the reason why there's any good stuff in the book. Some say, well, Paul is, well, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's blending uh, a Greek, Greek culture and Hebrew culture and, and the way that they spoke, and he's, and he's blending it together as a, as, a, as a man of two cultures. He's, okay, blah, 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 probably true, but yes, yes, the Greeks would start with their greetings, and they would bless, and so he changed that to grace. Okay, maybe. And of course, the, the Hebrew tradition would be shalom. Right? Peace. He's using the word irene, peace. But yeah, he is saying that. But these, it's not just a greeting, at least not this time, because this is scripture. And so we're going to recognize that all of these words and ideas are on purpose and they're alive. 
Because they're alive, they mean something to us. And so when we hear this, by saying grace and peace to you, we need to hear the Apostle Paul telling his audience that God has grace for you. And it is his will for you to have it. We must... In case anybody thinks, well, grace is something that just happened to me once. It's once and done. By grace, I have been saved. That means it happened. Uh, no, grace is something you have been brought into. You have been brought under the spout of God's grace. It is grace that has saved you and is saving you and is strengthening you and sanctifying you and sweetening you and sustaining you. What you needed grace, you need grace, you will need grace. And it is the grace of God that we will celebrate and he will manifest the riches of for eternity. And by Paul saying, him saying, grace and peace to you. He's putting it as if he's saying, but he says he is writing it from himself. He is expressing his agreement with heaven, partnering with heaven's desire to give grace and peace to his friends. Do you feel that? So in this one sentence, we understand at least this, this vertical and horizontal aspect of grace and that God has grace for you and wants you to have more of it. And, and we, people who are friends in Christ together, our desire is that, hey, God has grace for you and I want you to have it. I want to partner with heaven in communicating and sharing grace with you. What is grace? I know people are going to say, Unmer unmerited favor. We almost can't get it out fast enough because we learned it somewhere along the line. Unmerited favor. What even does that mean? Grace, the most, listen, grace means goodwill. Good will. It means goodwill from God. So when he says grace to you, he's saying, may God continue to express his goodwill toward you. May God continue to be good to you. And it's even more beautiful than that. Uh, grace is the word charis, which is, uh, which is a derivative of the word chairo. Chairo means to rejoice. Grace, really, this is it. This is, the, this is in the big dusty books. This is what you'll read. Grace means that which contributes to your joy. Grace makes you glad. How many are glad to be saved? How many are glad your sin is forgiven? See how that works? God did that by his grace. Grace is rooted in the Hebrew. Paul is calling it forth because it's used in the Septuagint to, to, to translate the word chesed. That's that word there. He is good and his chesed endures forever. His loving kindness, his loving, kind, eternal covenant love for you. All of that is his grace. Grace is the divine influence, God's divine influence upon our hearts and its reflection in our lives. Grace captures the, the, all of the concrete things that God has done in his goodness for us is grace. Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his redemption, his triumph, his ascension, all of it is grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit himself is an expression of the grace of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who continues to apply and to communicate God's grace to us. So grace is a person it is God's presence. It is God's posture toward us. 
Grace is the core of our Christianity. And as such, it is the core of a Christian attitude. John said that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Paul told Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen was described as a man full of grace. Paul told his audience to speak to one another in a way that communicates grace to each other. And the book of Hebrews tells us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. We cannot separate the concept of grace from the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Grace to you and peace. Someone say peace. Grace to you and peace. Peace is what grace produces. When we receive grace, we have peace. Where we practice grace, we promote peace. I have noticed in my own life, just for, by, by way of total candor, that the, the, the less gracious I am, the less peace I have. Peace is more than just the absence of negativity, this word shalom, irene. It means total well-being. It means everything that makes for a person's highest good. If we're saying that grace is the goodwill of God, we understand that what that produces is everything that is God's best for us. And this peace is always connected to relationships, always. My relationship within my own self, the peace in my own life, the peace that I can enjoy with other people, the peace that I have with God. God wants, when, where grace prevails, peace flourishes. And so here we have the fundamental ingredients of a Christian attitude. It's the fundamental ingredients of a Christian life. Grace and peace. And these are what God has for us and it is his will to give us continually. And these we should desire and seek to share with those around us. This is the fundamental, the starting point of a Christian attitude, grace and peace. So that's how I'd like to close this morning. The same way Paul began his letter to a whole church, I would just like to give voice to this text over you and come into agreement with the word of God, the will of God, and just pray to partner with heaven and pray for God to supply you freshly, immediately, presently with grace. Grace for who you are, grace for your life, grace for your responsibilities, grace for all your concerns, grace to strengthen you, grace to sustain you, grace to sanctify you, grace to preserve and to protect your life. I want to pray for the outpouring of God's good will toward your life by the Holy Spirit and anticipate that that grace will produce peace. Can we do that? So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to stand, if you would, 
And just, if you'd like to, just something like this, your hands outstretched like you want to receive something. The good news is, I'm, I'm confident to do this because I'm not the giver. It's grace and peace from God our Father. I'm just here to partner with him in service to you. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this text of scripture. I thank you for its simplicity and its power. And I pray today, Lord, that you would grant us, Lord, grant us, Lord, to lean, we lean now into the, into, into the scripture and we, we accept it as alive and we see here what is your will for us, what is your word to us and your will for us. And I say to your church freshly, grace to you from God, your heavenly Father, and peace. Grace to you by the, by, the, by the present working and application of the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit apply in your life. Bring his grace to bear freshly upon your life today. In the name of Jesus, may all the grace of God be yours freshly today. In Jesus' mighty name. If you receive that with me, would you say amen? What I'd like to do next is simply this. If you would like uh, me to pray with you personally, I'll just ask you to come to the front. We're gonna dismiss the whole room. If you need to go, find your kids, get on with your day, you're welcome to. But if you'd like, if I, would just, if I can just take a moment and simply pray this prayer from, a, from Philippians with you. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus. It'd be my honor to pray with you this morning. Tasia's gonna just lift the, lift the keys a little bit and play. I bless you in the name of Jesus. If you need to go, find your kids, get your new coffee, get on with your day if you'd like. But if I can take a moment and pray with you, just find your way to the front here. As folks are finding their way out, find your way right to the front and just put your hands out like this and I'll come through and I'll pray with you in just a few moments.